Welcome to Mutterings from a Bald Guy podcast. My name is Chet, your host. You will find sermons and teachings that put Scripture in its rightful place of authority on this podcast. If you like this episode or any, could you tap five stars and leave me a review? When you tap those stars and leave a review, that significantly helps me spread more salt in our morally decaying world. Hey, let's bring life to the dead together. We're going to be talking about the person. So we've been talking about methods. We've been talking about history of apologetics. We started diving into some of the views we see today, the the idea of subjective truth and objective truth and how we live in an age where as long as you believe it's true, it's true. Uh, doesn't necessarily mean, it doesn't necessarily mean there's an outside source of truth. Whatever you believe inside is true, is true. And so we know that's very dangerous um, because I just heard that there was a parent who walked in a classroom and had some kitty litter because her daughter wanted to identify as a, was a cat or dog? A cat. So, you know, that's her truth. So apparently that's the right truth, right? Um, as crazy as that sounds, that those are the kind of things that's happening today. So answer this question or whatever comes to mind. What do you think drives someone to commit their lives to something? That's good. So belief for sure. Belief in Jesus would, would definitely um, drive you to commit your life to them. What, to that, what about... Um, what do other people commit their lives to? Causes, good. But, but the principle is the same, right? They believe in that cause, just like you said. So, so belief is at the center of that, right? And we've been talking through John about belief, and we've, we've been going, you know, John is, is just an amazing, inspired author of the Scripture. And so the Holy Spirit does a great work, and God does a great work, and Jesus does a great work at bringing this up over and over and over again in the book of John, the word believe and how it's not easy believism, the word belief is weighted with, carried with uh, a, a sense of surrender, a sense of repentance, a sense of authenticity. It's not so much a, oh, yeah, I see that light there. Um, belief is when you actually flip the switch and you believe that it's going to turn on when you flip the switch. So the heart, we're going to talk about the heart today. Um, the heart is at the center of our being, okay? So maybe you've heard this. Some people say, my mind told me one thing, but my heart told me another. Anybody heard that? Did anybody say that when they were a kid? I knew I should have did this, but I'll tell you what, my heart was telling me to do that, and that's what I did anyway. <laughs> I got in trouble a lot for following my heart because the heart's uh, deceiving, isn't it? It's wicked that we see. But what we're going to talk about tonight is, is a, a biblical concept of the heart. And that concept is all of us. It's our mind, body, soul. And when, when Jesus says you're to love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, and soul. And so it's, it encompasses all aspects of our creation, of the way God created us. And one thing we've talked about in apologetics is there's a temptation to learn all these really good methods and ways of sharing the gospel. And intellectualize it too much. And you, you may want to go into intellectual sparring matches with the information you have or the methods you learned. And obviously that's not the right way. We talked about that over and over again. We have to find a way for each individual person we're talking to the best way to share Jesus with them. And that's, of course, a relationship before that is always the best. Can someone read Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven? So we're to love the Lord our God with all our what? Heart, mind, and soul. That's right. 
So if we are to love the Lord our God with all of our being, with everything we are, then we most definitely should, when speaking to someone about Jesus, keep all those aspects in mind. One of the things I've realized, Regina hit it on the head with causes. We, we live in the day and age where if there's a cause worth dying for, all of those younger than me will jump right in. But why do they do that? Because they believe in it, right? They believe in it with their whole heart that this is the absolute best cause. This, is, this will change the world. We, we live in, in a day and age where there are, there are young men and women who want to inflict change upon the world. That is not a bad thing, but their passion is misguided. Imagine, imagine a revival sweeping across our nation and you have all these young people who are zealous about cause and they turn are zealous about Jesus. I mean, imagine that. Imagine the kind of impact this world would have, the darkness would be blown away by the light of Jesus. And so I know I am praying for that to happen most definitely. And it makes me wonder what my kids' generation is going to be like. Half of me scared, half of me is anticipating it because we know that God's still moving because we see God raising up young people and them becoming leaders and them wanting to share their faith and, and being bold in school. And so we, we need to be excited about that. Whenever we talk about the disparity of the world, we need to remember and talk about how God is still raising up light in the dark world as well. So scripture calls for a holistic understanding of human beings, an understanding that encompasses all of who we are. So humans are intellectually reflective, we're moral beings, and we're worshipers. So we're going to get into that a little bit. This is vital. Every human being is this. This is us. And so we really are going to get down to the DNA of who we are, which will help us to share the gospel. So we do think and reflect on actions and thoughts. Now, what's interesting about this is that God has put inside of us a moral compass. I call that the uh, Ecclesiastes 3.11 compass where inside the heart of man is the yearning or desire for eternity. There's this knowing of right and this knowing of wrong. And so he created us like that. So we have decisions to make, right? And, and we have a heart, we have a mind, we have a soul. And whether we believe it or not, we, every decision we make, we base upon those aspects of our whole created being. We sense right from wrong, animals do not. What, what did we see there? We saw some hyenas see an opportunity, right? They don't care right from wrong if this old Bubba's by himself or not. They're trying to get them a piece of meat because they're hungry. Animals don't have a moral compass like humans do. We have the ability to evaluate our own desires. Animals don't. They just run off of instinct. As I was, this is about a 30-minute process. I went on YouTube to look. I knew what, what kind of video I wanted, but then I got caught up in these other tiger and lion videos, and I saw this one video. It was in another country. This lady raised a lioness in her home, in her home, okay? And it attacked one of her guests whenever she was older. And the lady just could not understand why the lioness would attack somebody that came into her house. I'm thinking, I know why this video's got 11 million views, because everybody's thinking what I'm thinking right now. Uh, so, I mean, animals are animals. And the evolution theory, you know, many secular scientists will say, we're just like mammals. We're just like animals. We've just evolved a little bit. No, no. You can't. And 
An innate soul moral compass cannot just evolve through time. This is something that was given by a divine creator. And we are unique in that aspect as humans because we have that moral compass. We have the ability to evaluate our own desires. Which, by the way, one thing Satan will try to trick you with is he will try to tell you that you don't have the ability to evaluate your desires. I lived in that life for five years going down the road of drug and alcoholism. I believed that it was outside of my control, outside of my choice, outside of the realm of possibilities for me that I could stop doing drugs and alcohol. That was the lie I believed. And there are many other things that Satan has a grip on people with, and that lie is the same then. But we have the ability to make a choice. We have the ability to evaluate our own desires. So we are unique in that, that way of our makeup, like I said earlier. Now, worshipers. All people worship something. Amen. We all serve a master, Jesus said. Now, where I'm from, LSU football and Saints football is God. And if you don't believe me, go to a church when the Saints have a home game or LSU has a late night Saturday game. Church will be almost empty because everybody went to the Saturday late night game and everybody's going to the Saints home game on Sunday. And so we all worship something. Now, I'm not saying those things are bad. It's okay to do every once in a while, but not every Sunday, every Saturday, okay? Um, we love most what we serve, and we serve what we love most. If you find someone, look, we, we struggle with this in every church in America. There's no church exempt from this. But you have a church full of people. And there's ministry opportunities available to be taken, to be led, for the gospel of Jesus Christ to be heard and spoken and ministered. And you have people in a church who are not willing to step out of their comfort zone to serve and spend time serving because they're afraid of taking time away from what they're doing. You see, we we only serve one master. So we have to ask ourselves, do we serve Jesus as master or do we serve the master of whatever else we enjoy doing. So modern gods come in the form of sex, money, power, comfort, and success. Man, I tell you, you know, what, you know who makes a lot of money? People who sell comfort in America. Think about it. Think about the homes that are being sold. I know when, when Nicole and I were looking for homes, we were looking for the most comfortable home we can find that we can afford. I mean, who doesn't do that? If you don't do that, there's something wrong with you, right? I mean, that's just a, that's just a, you want to, you want to support your family. You want to be in a, in a, comf- a comfortable area, a safe area. And so those things are not bad, but it can't be all we worship. All right. Success is the same way. We live in America. There's this just superb drive for success, right? You, you, you want it so bad. And, and sometimes I kind of wonder if that maybe was lost with my generation because I see the younger 20-somethings, and I don't, I don't see that same drive as, of success um, as my parents instilled in me. And so that worries me a little bit, but I just got to trust the Lord with what he's doing with the generations. We have to. We can't, we can't get all wrapped up in that. Now, and we will cling to these with deep devotion, deep devotion. We all worship something, and we need to know what we worship. Can someone read Matthew chapter 6? Verse 21. So where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Can you guys think of an example of some treasures that we see today uh, that people have in the, world, in the world that's outside of the church? I, I find, as, at least as I'm getting older, 
and I know from my parents and the older people I'm friends with, reputation is a big deal, especially as you get older. You know, when I was younger, I didn't really care about reputation too much, and my, my, my record shows that. But as I get older, it, it means more to me to have a better reputation. And some people can worship that. Some people can worship that. I had some friends in, in, in college, whenever I went to college the first time, and they, uh, if they made a B, they were like, I mean, just distraught because they thought their reputation was ruined, their image was ruined. So they worshiped that aspect of their life, right? That those grades, that was their God. Um, for me, when I was younger, it was, it was the girls that I dated. Um, my schedule revolved around them. It was unhealthy. It was toxic. It was um, not right according to scripture. And so those kind of things, that's what I worship. That was my God. And um, what we know is, is any other God than big G God that we worship will leave us empty. But when we carry the light in dark places, darkness will always tremble. It will always tremble. And so we have confidence in that. When we serve big G God and not all these little G gods that we see in the world, we have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's not going to make us fly above houses or levitate, but the Holy Spirit is the indwelling presence of God Almighty, and we can walk in confidence with his word, in his word, through his word, that we are the children of him. And there's nothing on this earth that can ever take away what God has given us in the Holy Spirit. The presence, the indwelling presence of him. So Jesus is saying that we treasure most, what we treasure most will steer our life in that direction. All right. So James K.A. Smith said, Christian faith primarily to a set of ideas, principles, claims, and propositions that are known and believed. Now the goal of all this is correct thinking, if a Christian thinks these ways with these principles and claims. But this makes humans out to be merely thinking things that are containers for ideas. And obviously, that's not where we want to go. We want to touch the mind, the soul, and the heart, right? So we should see humans as agents of desire and love. Now, (laughs) that sounds great, right? But the problem with this is that we love all the wrong things. Our love is in all the wrong priorities. Our our love is focused on things that little g-gods, things that they should not be focused upon, So in other words, we build our own kingdoms and not God's kingdom. James K.A. Smith says again, our love pushes or pulls us to act in certain ways, develop certain relationships, pursue certain goods, make certain sacrifices, and enjoy certain things. I think the best way to explain this is the marriage relationship. So the more we know our spouses, the more we, hopefully the more we grow to learn to respect and serve them. Intellect, belief, and feelings all play a part in us growing together, right? So it's not just the factual. Like when I met Nicole, the facts about her did not uh, attract her to me. It wasn't like, okay, she's uh, 5'7", she's got brown eyes, dark brown hair. Okay, maybe the brown eyes and dark hair probably would help some. But... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> she, <laughs> she, yeah, that's right. Yeah, exactly. She wears a size six, seven shoe, you know, her ring sizes, whatever. So factual data isn't everything, right? It has to encompass her whole being. And so who she was attracted me, who she was in her mind, heart, and soul, right? Um, and then as you grow with one another, you learn to respect those things even more. 
And so that's kind of the idea we're talking about here with the whole being of a person. You have uh, deep affection for your wife. You have deep affection for your husband. And so all of us carry this idea of the heart, this biblical concept. So when we're sharing the gospel with people, we want to touch those aspects of their life because that's who God made us. Everyone has those aspects, everyone. No one is exempt from that. So part of the role of apologetics is to explain why this covenantal God can be trusted. This is apologetics in a nutshell. It's not about how many scripture verses we memorized. It's not about how many arguments we can articulate. It's not about how well we can share our story. It's not about any of that stuff. It is about our lives being an apologetic that first off gives him the glory, which by our actions and the words we say and the way we live our lives, that we show the world that this covenantal God can be trusted but also in the way that we speak about him. When we speak about God, we should speak about God in a way that shows people that we really love him. You know, we walk through John 13, we're walking through John 14, we could be in John 15. Jesus is constantly telling his disciples, the way the world will know that you are my disciples is how you love one another. So if there are believers not connected in unity, That's showing the world that we really don't love Jesus. So who is this Jesus? But whenever the church loves one another, it's literally being totally different than the world because the world can't love each other. I mean, we all watch TV or watch the news some sort of way. I had to write a paper for my class this summer um, and it was on racial issues in America. I had to write one paper at the beginning And then it was a critical thinking class. And so um, we learned critical thinking skills and looked at scripture all summer long. And then now I had to write a final paper either to defend my belief at the beginning of the class or to say, hey, I was wrong. This is my new belief. And I didn't change too much because if you look at the statistics, eight out of 10 people get their news from social media. Eight out of 10 people. So if eight out of 10 people get their news from social media and social media has an algorithm, big brother, that shows you what they think you want to see, then our news is being manipulated, which means the information we're getting is being manipulated. And so what's interesting about that is I've come to the conclusion through, through this research, Pew Research did a bunch of work on that. They're a great um, organization that does that. They're out of D.C. And so... If eight out of 10 people see that, their news is being manipulated, their content is being curated to to whatever the algorithm thinks they wanna see. And so we really don't have a good grasp on the truth. We really don't have a good grasp on what's happening in the world. We know what social media is telling us is happening on the world, but then you go out in the world and you start having conversations with real people and you start to find out that's not really what's going on. The vast majority of people don't really think like what this talking head is talking about. Right. And so our lives, either on social media, either out in the world, out in our jobs, out in our families, needs to testify that this covenantal God can be trusted. And the way they see that is by the way we love, by the way we love one another. Love is the most powerful apologetic. Tim Keller says this, quote, people change not merely, not by merely changing their thinking, but by changing what they love most. Such a shift requires nothing less than changing their thinking 
but it entails more. What does it entail? By loving something different. We can't serve two masters. There's one master to serve. How do we show the world that we serve Jesus? By our love towards one another. You know what tickles me pink? Whenever I see new people coming in each week and I see you guys welcoming them and inviting them and talking to them. That if, if I had to brag on BBC, the number one thing, that would be it. I was noticing it Sunday. We had some, a couple of new people I've never seen before, and I, I saw you guys walk up to them and talk to them. And that is a testament of what we should be. That is exactly what we should be. Um, so whenever we love one another and we're in unity with one another, it's easier for us to allow other people in that same love and that same unity. But we got to fight it. Because what we, what we want to do is, is, it's human nature, is we get close to a certain group of people and we just feel comfortable with those people. So we got to fight that and, and really allow people in um, to our own circles. So a question to think about, in what ways can you make an appeal for the gospel to the whole person this week? And you don't have to answer right now, but that's just something to think about. In what ways can you make an appeal for the gospel to the whole person this week. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that Jesus is king. Father, thank you that you heard our prayers. Thank you that you're with us right now. Father, we know that we're living through, going through, walking through, some even struggling through the toughest season in life. Many of us have lost family, Many of us have sick family right now. Many of us live in a state of confusion, wondering what the next thing will be, wondering what the next big headline will be. But Father, we know that you are the headline, that you are the one we look to, that you are the one we read your word. You are the one that we love. You are the one that we serve. And Father, if we lose sight of that, we've lost sight of everything. But let our lives filled with love show that we love you. And may we bring people to the family of God because of the love by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Father, we love you and we honor you. And I thank you for every person here, Father. I pray that you would especially bless them and keep them. In your name I pray, amen. Amen.